this song is a dedication to Judy Skinner. Um, it's kind of a long story, but um, we've scheduled this song three times. And each time, some emergency takes the four of us to do it. Some emergency came up. And now we were supposed to sing it this Sunday, finally. And Judy died Thursday. It was supposed to be a dedication to her, but now it's a dedication and a remembrance to her and Wes. Because, you see, this song came from a book that she gifted to me after Wes died. And Wes used to sing from this song. She taught me his part because she knew his part. So I learned his part, and then Judy sang um, with me as an alto when we did this years ago. It's a favorite song. I just love it. Um, now, the song is called Jesus Hold My Hand, and it's a, a prayer that Jesus will continue to hold our hand through the trials and tribulations of this life. And now, Judy no longer needs that prayer because now she's in the arms of our Savior. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Okay, Jesus Hold My Hand. Yes. 
gumption amen and the orchestra you played with gumption over there we just sometimes have more fun than we should have at times but praise the lord thank you as they were singing i was thinking jesus doesn't just hold our hand he holds all of us isn't that wonderful the bible says in john chapter 10 that we are in god's hand if you know the lord jesus christ is your savior you are in god's hand and he holds you and the bible says nothing shall pluck you out of his hands and praise the lord for that well, I've enjoyed, I tell you, there's nothing like being at home in church. Amen. I thank the Lord for that. I maybe preached a little bit at the beginning. Brother Weimer took a little bit of your time, but it's been a couple of weeks since I preached. So every moment I can get, I enjoyed that. But it is so good to see you. It really is. Can you bring your beautiful feet up here? And uh, as we read this morning, beautiful are the feet of those and, and the feet of those that preach the gospel. How many have beautiful feet out there? If you tell someone about Jesus Christ, you have beautiful feet. Amen, Brother Weimer. Thank you, Pastor. Go ahead, Vicki. This is my wife, Vicki. She's going to say a few words. Good morning, church. <clears throat> Thank you so much um, for supporting us for all these years. We, I haven't been here since 1998. Is, is there anybody that has been here since 1998? All right. All right. Thank you for staying faithful. Thank you for holding the ropes. Great theme, Pastor. Wow. We could not be in Iceland without you. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm very grateful. I'd also just like to say thank you so much for the Prophets Chamber. We are exhausted and we've been sick. And it's such a blessing. It's such a nice Prophets Chamber up there, Pastor. Thank you so much. That's a blessing. I was saved when I was five years old. And the uh, Lord called me to be a missionary when I was in Bible college. I was trying to serve him. Didn't know if I wanted to be a missionary or didn't know what he wanted me to do, but he showed me in his word. And I'm so thankful for that because it's a rock in my soul. And I'm thankful for the life he's given me. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Vicki. And uh, I'm thankful for my wife. When we when I wanted to date her, now Vicki, she's real smart. She was valedictorian. And uh, she, was, she was the number one in her school, valedictorian. Homecoming queen, most elected to be most popular and everything, given a full ride at, I think it was a scholarship at Duke, and and uh, she surrendered to serve the Lord instead of be a lawyer. So I'm so thankful for my wife. She keeps me in line, and uh, we have totally different backgrounds. Um, I was not raised in a Christian home, and uh, many of you, how many people have, how many people, how many even know me? Anybody remember me from way back when? Okay. Well, I'll let you get to know me just real quickly before. If you turn in your Bibles to John 12, I'll be there in just a minute. John chapter 12, we'll get there. And um, But I'm Patrick Weimer. I was raised in a nominally Catholic home. Went to a Catholic school until I was in fifth grade. And then we kind of just dropped out going anywhere. And um, raised um, in a country. I was a country boy. We had horses and pigs and sheep and 
had about 40 dogs. My mom raised dogs. We had a cow. We had lots of things, lots of chores, um, lots of work. We heated our house with firewood. Anybody ever heat their house with firewood? I'm not talking about having electricity back up now. I'm talking about just firewood. Raise, yeah, see, there you go. Then the real men come out, right? Had to cut our firewood, heat our homes, and uh, praise the Lord for the upbringing he gave to me. I had a horse before I had a bike, and I'm um, very grateful, but um I was also in the country, and you'd think it was far away from the city influence, but we had a drug dealer move into our town. He was our, one of our neighbors, and he sold drugs to the kids in the country. And I got messed up early and um, was doing some, a lot of bad things as a young kid, breaking into homes when I was 13, 14 years old, stole my first car when I was 15, and I got messed up. And uh, my father kept me in line, though. I had to do all this stuff in private. My dad was a good guy. He was not a Christian man. But he was a moral man, raised, uh, he was raised after the Depression, taught us uh, hard work and, um, and to be, uh, have a good name. He told me I, I bore his name. He said, wherever I go, remember that. I'm carrying his name. And just an old-fashioned man. And uh, we always went on vacation up to Marquette, Michigan, up in the North Peninsula of, Mich- of Michigan. We swam out to an island called Picnic Island, about 400 yards off the coast. And um, it was just a tradition, we, tradition we did as a family. But I couldn't go year after year because I was the smallest and about the, my, my final year, that guy was 15 years old. Finally, they said, okay, this next year you can go, Patrick. You've been practicing. I practiced swimming in our cold pond in our cold river in Michigan. I was ready to go. And we went up there, and it rained every day. Last day, August 31st, we're going to go home. My last chance. I begged my dad to go. And uh, cold and rainy, we got in the water. And uh, we swam out there. Uh, got halfway. My dad turned around. And he said, I'm going to go back. And I said, I'm going to press on. i got to do this, Dad. I got to the island. Long story short, I heard him holler. I thought he was saying, good job. You finally made it. The second time he hollered, he was calling and he was saying help. And uh, so I jumped in the water, swam to him. We struggled for about 45 minutes in the water. And hypothermia is what the doctor told me, uh, took my father and was taking us both. And I had to let my dad go. I could not carry him to the surface again. And as a 15-year-old boy, um, I always tell people I lived a few lifetimes. And uh, as a 15-year-old boy, I had to let my dad die. And, and it, was a, it was a trying time. I didn't have a pastor to come pray for me. I didn't have a church to, to, to surround me. I had an evil uncle that gave me a bottle of whiskey at my dad's funeral. And I had friends that gave me other things of this world and said, this is how you comfort your soul. So from 15 to 18, I say I was a literal mess in this world. But I had a friend. I had a friend. His name was Glenn Smith. He was in his 70s. And uh, through a lot of circumstances that I don't have... I wish I could take the time to tell you, but uh, God used this deacon of a Baptist church. Um, he was the yard foreman at a warehouse. Uh, we, I tore down buildings by hand with a man, and we salvaged the, prop, the, the materials and brought it into the warehouse, and he would sell them there. So he was the field foreman, or yard foreman. I was a field foreman, and I ran teams tearing down buildings when I was from 16 to 19 years old. I had a guy, he believed in me. He saw in me, I guess, what he saw in himself when he was a boy. Shared the same birthday as my dad, same year. Carl Wolf was his name, and uh, he was a blessing to me. And uh, Glenn Smith, though, he was a big blessing. He witnessed to me all the time. He was happy, 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 happy man. Every time I went to work, I wanted to sit next to him. But then he'd start talking about Jesus, and I'd move away. I'd say, Glenn, I like you, but I don't want to hear this um, stuff about the Bible. I'm not interested. I was pretty upset at God for the things that I had gone through in my life, blamed God for everything. I believed he was. I knew he existed. I I was upset at God and uh, full of a lot of hatred. Long story short, three years, Glenn witnessed to me, and I finally, he asked me, he's building a greenhouse, and he asked me to come help him, and I liked helping people, I really did, I enjoyed doing that, and he was an elderly gentleman, and he was trying to build a greenhouse by himself, 
And so I said, okay, Glenn, I'm going to help you. And so I helped him all day, and he made dinner for me, his wife and, and his beautiful wife. And, and he they made dinner, and we sat down after dinner. He said, and with a tear in his eye, he said, Patrick, can I please uh, share with you out of the Bible a message that I've been dying to share with you? And out of, I loved him. He was the only person I led into my life after my dad died. He snuck in. And I, I shoved everyone else out. I, I made you mad. I would, I would hurt you. Didn't understand why I was doing all that as a kid. Uh, but, uh, but Glenn knew. Glenn was praying for me. And uh, while Glenn was praying for me, all those years he praying for me, I stopped doing, hanging around with my friends. I stopped doing all the things that I was doing. I didn't even know why. I just didn't want to do it anymore. I started seeing that the things in this world were hurting me. And um, he told me, he, was, said, uh, he, said, he said, you're being used by an enemy. He's using like an old dirty rag and he's going to throw you in the corner and discard you. And uh, he doesn't love you. And I, I didn't understand what he was saying. And, uh, but, but he prayed for me. And that night, he, he, he opened his Bible, showed me the gospel. I didn't get saved. It was September 13th, 1988. I didn't get saved that day, but he showed me the plan of salvation. I was 18 years old. It was the first time I heard the gospel. And um, he always begged me to go to church. And I said, okay, maybe next Sunday. I never went. Never did. One day, he didn't show up for work. And uh, Glenn, uh, Carl Wolf, my boss, said he has cancer. And it took him real quickly. Uh, he was just a few months, and then he was gone. On his uh, three, three or four days before his death, um, I, Carl, my boss, told me to go visit him. And I didn't realize why I didn't want to go visit him. But I know now as an adult, I hated that thing of losing somebody I cared about. And um, as a lost person, you just don't handle that very well. So I refused to go see him dying. But my boss was very big and influential. He was big and very influential. And he said, go. And I said, yes, sir. And I walked in the room. I could not frame a word to Glenn. I remember I can still see his family sitting in the hospital. He went home to die at his house on his couch, but he was at the hospital on that day. And his family was surrounding him. I walked in, and they all got quiet and looked at the door. I couldn't say anything. So Glenn looked over at me as this happy, jovial man he was, broken body, hurting in pain. And he looked up at me, and he said, Patrick, and he looked at me with pity, and he said, I'm praying for you. Now, you cannot live a thousand years and outlive that testimony. I'm 19 years old, strong and strappy, and he's dying. And he looks at me in pity, and he says, I'm praying for you. And he said, you need Jesus. And that seed that he planted in my life, that was 1988. Three years later, in 1991, I got saved in Iceland while I was serving the Air Force, went to church. Long story has to be shortened. But I did finally go to church, and they preached the same gospel that, John, uh, that Glenn Smith preached to me. And I'm so grateful that I got saved. And, then I, and I wrote my commander in the Air Force letter. The Cold War ended, and the Desert Shield Desert Storm ended, and they were reducing troops. I had served three years, and I said, i got a year left, and I'm supposed to be in Iceland till the fourth year. I said, there's nothing to do. Can I get out and go to Bible college? Honorably discharge me. And they said, yes, sir. And it made it easier because I didn't take the GI Bill. I refused it when I went in. I didn't want anything from the Air Force. I wanted to go in and work and serve. And uh, so they let me out early, honorably discharged me, went to Bible college, met my wife. She gave me the grand interview. She said, when I told her I wanted to date her, she said, okay, uh -huh. I didn't want to date. I, actually, I, I was a little more forward. I didn't want to do the dating garbage. Um, I, so I waited until I was a junior. I said, committed to the Lord. I wasn't going to get distracted with girls. And I uh, went to college to serve the Lord. But in my junior year, Vicky, Vicky came to college, and I prayed. And I knew God wanted me to, to have Vicky as my wife. At first, we were, we, uh, long story. I won't go into all of the details. But she said to me, her first question when I, when I presented to her, I desired to, to uh, court her, to pursue her as a, as my wife, she said, well, are you going to be a missionary? I, I got saved young, and I surrendered to serve the Lord when I was 14, and I want to be a missionary. And I believe God wants me to be a missionary, and I won't date anybody that's not going to be a missionary. 
And so you, you support uh, in us two missionaries, and all three of our kids serve in our church as missionaries. So you have five missionaries, and they work hard, every single one of them. And that's me in a nutshell. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12 and verse number um, 32. John chapter 12 and verse 32. I'm very glad that I lived in 1985 when my dad died. I'm very glad I lived or else I would be in hell right now. I'm living on borrowed time, and I'm very grateful for every minute. Um, I'm thankful to this church for all you've done so far. I will probably fall short in thanking you guys over and over for your support through the years, for your kindness, and all the work and preparation that's gone to this conference. Um, I don't think anybody ever appreciates everything that's done and all the hard work. And, and then, of course, somebody's going to, uh, you, you, you just have to say thank God for all the laborers that have done everything from decorating to cleaning to you name it. There's a lot going in there. And I'm thankful to Jesus this morning. I'm thankful to, to, to our Father who sent His Son into this world as a missionary. And I'm thankful that the Lord also put it in the hearts of those wise men to come with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Say, who put it in their hearts to get up and travel and to present? Why did they present those gifts? Because God always supports. He always supports those that he sends. And I'm very grateful for that. His eye is always on the sparrow. And as long as you're in the field laboring, God will put it in the hearts. You know, you ever see those crazy people in the cold weather go out with bags of seed and feed birds? They do it in Iceland, freezing cold weather. They break the ice, and they'll actually help the birds, and they'll throw seed out there. Why are they doing that? What, who put it in their hearts to do all that work? Well, God's taking care of those birds, and the people don't even know. They don't even realize that they are an instrument in the hand of the Lord. God is taking care of everything around. He does take care of those that are laboring, too, in the field. John chapter 12 and verse number 32. John 12 and verse number 32 is a, is a, is a familiar passage. I usually, when I preach, take a chapter. Or a, or a solid passage. And I preach verse to verse, line to line. And that's usually the way I preach. But this morning, because of the, the nature of the conference, and I know your pastor desires you to be challenged for missions and also taking part in getting your hands onto the rope and holding on. And imagine what we could all do if we grabbed onto a rope and pulled together, every one of us giving 100%. That would be a pretty amazing task that we can accomplish. We, we, we uh, in summer camp, taught our kids to work together. And we, we had tied a rope to our van. And we, we had each team start out with one kid at a time, and they would grab on and try to pull it. They couldn't. By the time we got to the whole team, they pulled the van the entire distance. But I got four first grade and kindergartners onto the vehicle. And I thought, well, let's just let them see. My demonstration was supposed to be they can't do it. They, they're not old enough. They're not strong enough to do it. Those four kids pulled the vehicle about three feet. I thought to myself, you know what? You, you get your hands on the rope and you start pulling together. It is absolutely mind-boggling. What a body of Christ can do if they get one mind, one heart and focused in one direction is it will blow your minds what this church can do. But in John chapter 12 and verse number 32, we're going to talk about what Jesus did and what he is doing absolutely in our lives. And uh, the Bible says, if I be lifted, of course, this is after they heard the voice from heaven, the Mount of Transfiguration took place and and all the father glorify thy name. Wonderful thing that took place and a lot of history behind this. And I, I am so inclined to take this passage and tear it up and, and, and dissect it for you and preach it to you. But I just want to point out some things in verse 32. He said, I and if I be lifted up from the earth will draw all men unto me. Our heavenly father, would you bless in these moments that we have together? And Lord, if there be one here that's not saved, I pray that you'd save them. And I do pray that you would place your hand upon somebody in this conference and call them out. As you called Matthew and you called your other apostles to stand up and forsake all and to be a minister that would go to a people that need to hear. Would you please call someone 
to the ministry, to to be a missionary in this conference. And we'll praise you and glorify. And there's hearts that are broken this morning. Loss has taken place. And I pray that you please encourage hearts this morning through this message. And it's in Jesus name I pray. Amen. I if I be lifted up from the earth. Now, I've heard this preach that if you praise uh, the Lord, if you lift him up, that, uh, that that means talking about praise. Then, but it's not. He's, he's speaking of being lifted up from the earth. And you'll see this in verse number 33. This he said, signifying what? What does your Bible say? This he said, signifying what? Death he should die. So the statement, if I be lifted up, was not in reference to praise. It's good to praise him. And I tell you what, when you praise God, people take, take note of that, that. He is in your midst. But here he's saying, if I be lifted up. Now, let's talk about being lifted up. John chapter 3 says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. You know the story in the book of Numbers? There was the, the people murmured, complained. God sent fiery serpents into the camp. They were bitten. They were dying. They were given a plan of salvation. Moses fastened a serpent, brazen serpent, to a staff, to a tree, right? Lift it up. How did he do it? He nailed it. He had to fasten it to the tree and he had to what? Lift it up. This is the lifting up that the Bible's talking about. Do we agree? If I be lifted up. So we're talking about this. So Jesus says this. It's a promise. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, what was he saying? If I get crucified and they lift me up onto a tree, as scripture says, if the lamb of God the son of God, the glory of God revealed to man. If he's nailed to a cross, he will do something. Look what he says he'll do. Look at verse 32. I and if I be lifted up, will what? Will draw some men. Isn't that what it says in your Bible? Some, isn't it? All. Now, all in the Greek means all. It means that in the French and the Spanish and whatever language you get, it is absolutely every single human being that ever was ever will be do you get it so what do we know jesus is doing at this very moment what is the promise just as john three sixteen is a promise amen for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life is that a promise can you claim it Yes, I can claim that one too. The promise in John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus promised if he gets lifted up and he was that he will draw what all, you know, many are called, but few answer the phone. That's the Patrick international version. Many are called, but few answer the phone. You know, from heaven, God is crying, come unto me. All ye people, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. He is drawing. You know, it's just like you can't get over gravity. You can't get over gravity. It's going to hold you as long as you're in this. You cannot get away from God. He is drawing from the time you are born until the time you die. He is working every single day of your life. To reveal himself to you. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. And night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no land. No speech. Where their voice is not heard. Everywhere on this planet. The glory of God is being revealed. The grace of God which bringeth salvation. Hath appeared unto all men. God is drawing all men. So what do you know when you sit on an airplane. Next to somebody. What do you know about that man next to you? You might know nothing about him. But what do you know God is doing in his life? God is drawing him to himself. His name was Ed on the way here. He has a wife named Edna. He's uh, 
His, I mean, yeah, his mother's name is Edna. She uh, was just, he's, he's flying an emergency flight. He's from Puerto Rico. And uh, he, he immigrated to America 24 years ago. His wife, his mother's name, Edna, was, uh, 80 years old, was um, uh, found unconscious in the bathroom of his house, uh, of, of her house. And they had to resuscitate her. And he was flying in, a, in an emergency flight to get to Florida to go see her. And I found that out by talking to him. And I stopped him and I said, can I pray for your mother right now? And he said, yes, you can pray. And I witnessed to him. He's a Catholic. And I was like, wow, you know, I was a Catholic. And, you know, I was a show. show. You know, what, so what am I trying to say? God's trying to use you. Glenn Smith, God, God's drawing me. He was drawing me. He was drawing everybody. And Glenn Smith got on that path. And he's just, all you have to do is assist gravity. All you have to do is assist God. I mean, he'll, he'll, he's trying to get people to himself. All you got to be is in the path of others, everybody around you. So you, number one, Jesus is working to see people saved every single day. He's drawn. He, he didn't stop in Luke when he said the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. He's still every single day working in every single person's life. His thoughts towards us are greater if we numbered them than the sand corn by the seashore. He is constantly working and thinking towards us. Do you believe that? I believe it. Aren't you glad that God reached you? What's the name of the person? Say it out loud that witnessed to you. Say it. That led you to the Lord. Say it out loud. That's the person that God used because you were being drawn. You were being drawn to God. God was working and drawing you with cords of love from the time you came into this world. And that person was the one that was. You need to be one of those people. Amen. So number one, Jesus is working. Number two, you are a tool. Look at first Corinthians chapter three. Look at first Corinthians chapter three and verse number five. I am so glad for the people that God put in my path. First Corinthians chapter three and verse number five. I was on the path to destruction and God put a, a warning sign in my way. Now, many people won't. Not everybody's going to listen to the warning signs. You're, God's going to put many people in the paths of people on the way to destruction and they won't listen. They'll ignore the signs. That doesn't mean they're predestinated to ignore the signs. I hope this church doesn't believe in predestination. Calvinism. Goodness gracious. Heaven help us. God wants everyone to be saved just because the person ignores you doesn't mean they were predestined to do that. Some people listen, some people don't. I found that people just sometimes just close their ears even to good advice. Amen. Have you discovered that as well? First Corinthians chapter three and verse number five. But doesn't God wants you to keep on spreading the news? First Corinthians three, verse number five. Who is Paul? Now, you would answer that question and I would answer that question. Who is Paul? What do you mean? That'd be like asking me, who is Glenn Smith? Well, Glenn Smith's the man that witnessed to me. He's a big guy. And who's Johnny Wright? He's the man that led me to the Lord. Well, Paul, the apostle was was an important person to many people. But the Holy Spirit's trying to get some people's attention to realize that they are also as Paul. For the Bible says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But what does it say? Read it with me. But ministers by whom you believe. So we all agree that Paul and Apollos were ministers by whom they, they, they believed. They heard the word of God and they were the instruments, the tools, the people that God put in the other people's paths to warn them of the, of the, of the judgment that is after death. Amen. Do you all agree with that? Now, what does it say at the last phrase? Even as what? Even as the Lord gave to the elect. No, even as the Lord gave to some people, even as the Lord gave to Every man. So, so answer the question. Did God give to every single man somebody by whom they should believe? Do you see that? Does God give to every man somebody by whom they should hear and believe? Does the Bible say that? My Bible says that. Do you believe that? I believe that. I believe God has given to every human being somebody by whom they should what? Hear so that they can believe. Amen. Do you believe that? 
If you'll wrap your soul around that, you're one of those people. See, missions is, yes, I want that faith promise. Faith taking God at his word that he really loves the world. The world is the body of unbelievers. Amen? For God so loved the world. He loved the church, Ephesians 5.25. That's the body of believers. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. But he loves the world. He loves the body of unbelievers. And he's trying to reach them. By faith, I know that God is working every single day to reach this entire world, to reach every single person on the planet from the sunrise to sunset, from sunset to sunrise, every second, every nanosecond of the day. He's trying to reach every single person. And by faith in that, I want to be part of that mission that God's involved in. Now, I want to get involved in it personally in my little area. I want to get involved in it in my home, my little Jerusalem. Where I live, everybody I bump into, wherever I go, wherever I sit, wherever I shop, wherever I work, I want to bump into everybody. I want to tell everybody around me. That's what a missionary does, by the way. The people you take on for support, they're just, you're just sending them to go somewhere to do what you're doing in your church. Hopefully you're doing in your church. And what you're doing in your home, what you're doing with your neighbors. You just, you just, you're just sending somebody over there. What do they do? They reach their neighbors. They knock on their doors to the neighbors. Hey, do you know Jesus? And they, they live in the community. They shop by gas. They reach out to people around them. They just do what you do. Of course, they don't have a church to bring people to. So then they have to establish a church and they have to bring people to that church. So it's a little bit different dynamic. But all we're doing is what you're doing or you're supposed to be doing here in this church. And it's a whole lot easier to care about them over there if you care about people over here. It's a whole lot easier to get involved in world missions if you're involved in local missions. Do you, do you believe that? So you're somebody by whom, see, you're, you're Glenn Smith, you're Paul, you're Apollos, you are somebody by whom somebody should hear. And if your name is never called out, it could not be called out right now. If you're thinking to yourself, nobody would call my name out and say, my name is the one that God used. I am the one by whom somebody believed. Why don't you make it your commitment today instead of before faith promise? I would say, even though I know your pastor wants you to make a faith promise commit, uh, commitment, why don't you commit that you're going to be that one by whom somebody hears and by whom somebody believes and make it your goal to lead someone to Jesus, live a life before them. Do what Glenn did. Amen. Isn't that a blessing? God desires us to be somebody by whom others believe. Let me tell you a little story. And I was told properly, I have to stop at 1035. Tell you a little story. Now, I, I, that's a plenty of time. I am not complaining. I appreciate any minute that God gives to me. And you've given up your pulpit for two weeks or been able to, so I'm very grateful. But um, I'll tell you a quick illustration of this. And I'm so glad that in 1985, um, I had suffered. Um, I told you I wasn't going to walk around, Luke, didn't I? <laughs> I'm moving. Uh, in 1985, I suffered. I was upset. I was confused. In my barn, I went up to the second floor and I punched every wall. Put my fist through the, through the, we had a glass window, one, two, one on each end, punched my fist through the window. I was screaming, I was hollering. I wasn't putting on a show or a fit for my mom or anybody. I was alone. It was a barn. No one was there. And I raised my fist up to heaven and I said, I hate you, God. Why did you kill my dad? And then I fell on my face and I said, don't kill me, God. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I mean, Catholics, we, we, they, they, they instill something in you. And uh, I, I was afraid of God. And uh, I didn't understand 1985. That was like October, November. That's the that's the very year and month that Johnny Wright, the man that led me to Christ, surrendered his life to be a missionary. And he went to Iceland and met me six years later. And he led me to Jesus. I am so and his name was Johnny Wright. I'm so glad he was the right man in the right place at the right time to talk to the right person and tell me about Jesus. Isn't that awesome? 
God wants you to be that person. He's not special. Every one of us has that. You've got to be in the right place at the right time. And where's the right place at the right time? Wherever you are. You be there and you open that mouth. You see those people. You lift up your eyes. We get, we get, we get distracted living for this present evil world. We're looking down all the time. God wants us to look first to him. Then he wants us to look in the mirror. And then he wants us to look out. And he wants to see all these things so that we'll be aware of what's going on. That's another message. I'll tell you another one. Here we go. Crystal. I was a bus captain at Trinity Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Didn't know what a bus ministry was. I was not raised in the Christian circle. So when I got there, I went to the college first. They told me about a bus ministry. I bought a truck to take, had two seats in it to take people to church when I was in Iceland. That was great. I thought it was wonderful. I was the happiest man on the planet. I had two people to take to church. Hoorah. They got, I got to Trinity. They said I could have a 67 passenger bus. I said, they're lying to me. I told them, I told them, you guys are just pulling my leg. I said, no, it's real. I said, how much does it cost? And they said, you can have it for free. I said, you're lying to me. I was so, I, I really was annoyed. I said, you guys don't mess with me like this. And, and I went to the church that 70 buses, 3,000 kids and families were bused in. I said, and I, I joined the church that Sunday and I, and I was on the bus for six solid years through my college years. And we had a young girl, her name was Crystal. She, her mom was a drug addict. Daddy was not on the scene. Little blonde haired, curly haired. She looked like little uh, Shirley Temple. And except with blonde hair, she's about this tall. Letter to Christ on the way home from Sunday school. And what a blessing, Crystal Barnhill. She's a, she, was a, she was a sweet young lady, and uh, we prayed for her and ministered to her for about two years, and she disappeared. I found out later that her mother lost the child, went to foster care, and then her grandparents came in and adopted her and raised her in a good church. And it was a blessing. Actually came back. And uh, so let's fast forward from 1995 to 2009, 13 years later. I'm serving in Iceland, and I'm, we're in a, we, have, we have teams come up to help us in our summer camp. Had a great summer camp. Had, you know, I think 13 souls saved. It was a wonderful time. We work hard <coughs> throughout the entire week. A wonderful time. At the end of the week, I give them one day. We go on a, a sightseeing. We get in the van. We're driving around. This mid-20s young lady behind, sitting behind me. She says, uh, what would you do at Trinity? I said, I was a bus captain. She said, I was a bus kid. Hmm. Bus kid. Wow. What bus were you on? 87B. That's my bus. What year were you there? She said, 1992 to 1995. I said, that, that I was I was there from 92 to 90 uh, to 97 or 98 <coughs> right before 98. And she said, you were my bus captain. And I said, wow. And she told me her whole story of what God was doing in her life and what a joy it was. And that was during a time where I was um, discouraged in Iceland because we want to see 50 church churches planted. We want to see eight in our town. We want to see a lot of stuff done for the Lord. And we we're discouraged wanting to see everything done and and, and trying to and we're, we're wondering, is, is God using us? It, is the Lord actually using us? I mean, we're working hard. We're, we're knocking on doors. We're ministering, we're witnessing, living before these, attest- these people a testimony. We're suffering and, and enduring hardness. And we're thinking, what is God doing with us? And then God sent this young lady to Iceland to show me 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight is true. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so she encouraged me. and She doesn't know how much of encouragement she was to me because you never know where those bus kids go. And here she is faithful. You know where she is today? Her and her husband, Crystal Johnson, is her name, there, is her name right now. And she is a missionary and her husband in China. Isn't that a blessing? You know, God wants you to be in the right place at the right time to meet the right people so that you, God can use you to influence others. I'll tell you one more and then I'm going to finish my message and we'll close in prayer. There's a man in, uh, I was in Iceland. I was praying to God, let me 
be an instrument, use me to influence at least one person as Glenn and John influenced me. I prayed. And I used to take my leave in the military and I'd sleep in the science class at the church, read my Bible, listen to preaching sermons. And I'd go out and just witness, pass out tracts and preach on, uh, to, to the people either on the base or out in the community. And after I prayed that prayer, I got up and walked to the coast. And uh, there was a man sitting by his bike, he was a little bit drizzly out. And he was sitting by his bike and he was just kind of looking out through the ocean. And I got to talking to him. And his long story short, he's a man from Germany, mandatory military. He came to Iceland to ride his bike into, around the entire island. Why? I don't know. But he was this. He just finished it. He's sitting by the ocean. I invite him back to the church for some hot chocolate because it's about 45 degrees and drizzly and windy. And, uh, and uh, so we go back to the church. Long story short, after about three hours, I led him to Christ. Joyful moment. He went back to Germany. Never saw him again. They haven't seen him since. But he wrote me a letter. He tracked me down. He wrote me a letter in Bible college. I was of junior in Bible college, and he said, I am a minister in Germany, not in a state church, but in a Christian church in Germany. He said, I want you to know, I thank God for your influence in my life when I went riding a bike. Be in the right place at the right time to meet the right people. God wants to use you. You believe, you believe 1 Corinthians 3, 5? You are an instrument or a vessel by whom somebody should believe. Make it your goal in life to find those people. Be in the right place like stars that you can navigate by. Ministers of the church are called stars. They've got to be in the right place at the right time so other people know which way to go. And then be like the moon, always in the right place at the right time. We've been given orders. Turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, and I'm going to close with this. Be, we have our orders in Matthew. Go teach all nations, all nations, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Mark says it this way. Go ye... Uh, and go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke says it this way, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. He said it in John this way, as the father sent me, so send I you. And he said it in Luke this way, you should be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He's given the orders already, and he's given us the order. Jerusalem, everybody you bump into. Judea, those through your church, reach a little farther. Samaria, reach those un unloved foreigners that live in your midst, that un, un, unsavory people that, 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 you know, we just don't want to reach out to. And then the uttermost part of the earth, reach out to those people that are out of your reach. Send somebody to go to them. Send, a, send someone to be in the right place at the right time. Matthew chapter 14 in closing. When you step out to serve the Lord, you're going to face adversity. Whether you step out to be a Sunday school teacher, whether you step out to be um, a uh, janitor, whether, like Margaret, cleaning the the um, the prophet's chamber, no matter what you do for Jesus, I guarantee you when you step out, so, there's going to be a discouragement. There's going to be somebody going to maybe complain about what you do, maybe not like the way you do what you do. And there's going to be a discouragement along the journey, no matter what, whether you're a pastor, whether you're an assistant pastor, there's going to be someone that doesn't like your ministry. And there's going to be discouraged. It's going to be hard to press on through adversity. Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 22 in closing. Matthew 14, because if you're going to give a commitment to God, you're going to say by faith because you know God says he loves people and he's working hard to reach them and you want to be part of that. So you're going to make a commitment, financial commitment and say, this is my financial commitment to reach those people out of my reach. This is this. Is, if you're going to do that, I, and, and I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know what your pastor says and I hope I don't contradict him, but you may not um, see a million dollars come in if you commit to give money to the Lord. Are you shocked at that? You, you may not see financial blessings because you commit to give to God. I know, you know, um, pressed out 
you give and it shall be given unto you. And, and sometimes we think, well, you know, but God's blessings are spiritual many times. And Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so when you give here, God does give unto you. But it just very well be that the receiving of those gifts that you're being given might not be seen in this earth. Do you get it? You might even suffer loss. Like I, I committed that my first commitment was $50 a month to missions. It went up to $550 a month at one time in my life to missions. And, um, but I tell you, when I made it that first commitment for $50 a month, I didn't, I got financial blessing. It was like, wow, this is great. You know, giving a shall be given unto you. And then I got joined Bible college. I didn't have the GI bill. I told him I didn't want it. I didn't have family, didn't have family money. I had nothing. I had to work for minimum wage through Bible college, 60 hours a week or plus. And, uh, and I was, I had to drop down. I remember I had to drop my classes down to three classes cause I didn't have the funds to go now. And, and, but you know what? I did not stop tithing. I, I praise God. I have not since being, since at, shortly after I was saved and I learned about tithing, I have not one time not given God at least the 10% he deserves and, uh, and then giving above that. I was taught about that. And then missions, I committed to do that. And, and it's been now since 1991, I guess 24 years ago. And by God's grace, I can say, even though I struggled many times, I can honestly say I always put that first on my list. And I said, God, you can have your first. And I never regretted it. Never one time. But I didn't see heaven always open up and a, and a blessing drop down. I sometimes had to struggle through it. And that's what Matthew chapter 14 is all about. And I will quickly read this and, tr- and trust it will be a blessing to you to continue on in adversities, whether you're serving, whether you're giving or whether you're going, you're going to need encouragement because you're in a battle. Straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples. The word constrained means forced, blocked off all of the paths, locked them in the one and said, one way is before you. Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. This is John. Uh, this is Matthew 14, verse 22 to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. So Jesus is on the mountain alone. His disciples were sent into the boat at sunset and there's a storm coming. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves for the wind was contrary. In the fourth watch of the night, this is 3 a.m. To, to, to sunrise. First watch was sunset to nine. Second watch, nine to midnight. Third watch, midnight to three. And then fourth watch from 3 a.m. to sunrise. So he, Jesus waited until a very tiring hour to come to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it is a spirit. They cried out for fear. Here's the lesson that God showed me in this. In the will of God, when he tells you to go someplace and he constrains you and said, this is where I want you to go. You might not get for, uh, as far as you think you're going to get. You might just find yourself rowing to the fourth hour, fourth watch of the night. In fact, getting nowhere. But the one that told you to go said to go and you just keep on going until he comes and delivers you. Don't turn the boat around. I imagine Judas Iscariot was saying, I knew this was a bad idea. Right. <laughs> you can just see him sitting in the back of the boat. He put his oar down. He said, this was dumb. What was what was Jesus thinking? Many, many Christians make the mistake of trying to use the lipness test of if everything goes OK, I'm in God's will. No. I have learned a different truth. If everything goes OK and you're not in a battle. You might not be in the war. You might just very well have put your armor down and gone the way of the world and Satan might be not fighting you anymore. That's the scary thing. I have found it in the will of God. When you're doing God's will, you fight and you struggle, but you don't stop. Peter, James and John in the front saying, rope, stroke, stroke, keep on going, boys. No matter what, we need someone to keep pressing. on. I'm so glad they didn't turn the boat around. This is this is a good illustration of what God can do in our lives, that when he tells us to go and do something, he puts something in your heart to do something, a ministry or giving or going, praying, giving, going, no matter what you do, when adversity comes, do not stop. Do not turn around. 
God led you to do it. You keep doing it. You come to church for Jesus. You serve for Jesus because he's the one that loved you, died for you. And you just keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't look anywhere else. Focus on him. And he's the one that wants to bless you. The story ends. Of course, you all know it. Jesus comes, delivers them. And then Peter walks on the water. But I want you to know something. There's a there's a beautiful picture in here. There's a beautiful picture that Jesus went on the mountain to pray in the story, right? In the history, I mean. You with me? Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, right? So he wasn't with him. And he said to his disciples in the boat, go, right? Why did he let him endure this? Because very, very soon he's going to die. He's going to be buried. He's going to rise again. And he's going to say to his people, I'm going to the big mountain, Mount Zion, right? He's departing. And he's going to tell his people to what? Go into all the world. And when they go, he knows they're going to face adversity. He knows they're going to face storms and they're going to feel like they get nowhere at times and they're going to need to know they need to press on because one day he's going to come off that mountain. Amen. Do you see it? He's going to step off in our storm and hopefully he'll see us in the boat doing what? Rowing on against all odds, steadfast, unmovable, not moved from the from the work of the Lord because our labor is not in vain. Would you stand with me? We'll be dismissed. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'll be turning the invitation over to pastor. I just have a couple questions for you in private between you and Jesus. Would you bow your heads in just a little moment of invitation time with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? I have a first question is the most important question you'll ever hear in your lifetime. Maybe God brought me all the way from Iceland to stand in your way and wave the warning sign and say there is a judgment after death. And maybe you're not ready to meet God. Maybe you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior and you know it. Maybe you've been thinking about that. I encourage you to make that day, this day, that day that you come and say, what must I do to be saved? Show me. With everybody's head bowed and their eyes closed, if you'd like me to pray for you, I will not call you out. I want to pray for you. I won't pray for you by your name or point to you, but I want to pray for you. If you say, that's me, I need to trust Christ as my Savior. I haven't done that yet. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you anywhere. And then if you're a Christian, how about it? Are you facing adversity? Maybe you, maybe you started out and stopped. Maybe you made a commitment before and you quit giving because things got hard. Or you quit going because things got hard. I encourage you, let Matthew 14 encourage your heart. Get back in the boat. Start rowing. Don't stop. One day he will deliver you. He will step off that mountain. He'll bring you home. And you'll be a whole lot happier if you don't stop on the journey. I see your hand. Thank you. I saw that hand. Thank you. God bless you. Were there others? Praise the Lord for that hand. Thank you. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time together. As Pastor comes and encourages his people to respond to you, I pray that you please, Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. We did our part. Now, Lord, we trust you to do yours. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother Wine. We're going to sing 325, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Have Thine Own Way. I appreciate the emphasis of the message. How about you? We have a job to do. And that's, you know what, Brother Wine? I'm thankful that you started this missions conference off with our responsibility of telling people about Jesus Christ. If anything Westside Baptist needs right now is for all of us to catch on what is our mission and our job. God said to occupy till he comes. 
our occupation is to be fishers of men. Then I like whether Brother Weimer concluded his message with, just because you make a decision to serve God doesn't not mean there's not going to be storms. But you go on. Our theme song for this month is Press On. We're going to sing it tonight, by the way. Press On. Some of you have been saved for a long time. Sometimes you get discouraged. Sometimes you quit. Sometimes we, we lose our heart for souls. Press on. Let's let God have His way. How many believe you can do better at pressing on for Jesus Christ? Amen. And telling people about Jesus Christ. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own my will after his will speak to my heart. And he did in Sunday school. And he did in this service. Did he speak to your heart in this service? Amen. Thank the Lord for it. Well, if there's other decisions to be made, make sure you don't leave without making those decisions. And I tell you what, don't miss what God has for you. Every time this conference is going on, you need to be there. And you need to be praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? This is, this is about us finding our instructions from our Lord finish out well our lives, and I believe this conference is going to make a difference at Westside Baptist Church. Thank the Lord for that. Uh, sign up for the breakfast if you need that, and the pie tonight, uh, not tonight, it's Monday, tomorrow night. All right, you are dismissed, and do take the time to visit with our missionaries and their displays as you go in our Sunday school times.